0: This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at
1: Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson, along with my co host, Josh Cumston. In the studio today, we have our chapel speaker at Nebraska Christian Schools today, Brian Young. Welcome to the program today, Brian. Thank you. Good to be here. Brian is the president and founder of Creation Instruction Association and gave a presentation to our students today on creation. Brian, you do a lot of speaking around the United States. Maybe you could let our listener know some of the places you've been recently and the type of presentations that you've been giving.
0: Well, I've been on the road quite a bit here the last few months just speaking on general ideas of creation and worldview talking about the Bible and how it is not at odds with science And that actually evolution is is an inconsistent belief, whereas when we stand on the scriptures, it is a, a consistent belief that what we believe about the Bible fits with what we see in the world all around us, whereas an evolutionist, what they believe about evolution is inconsistent with what we see going on around us and and the way they behave. As an example, we might say, why do we have hospitals today? If uh, survival of the fittest is what we're going for, we should let the weaker ones die out, that type of thing. So we've just been going to throughout many different states and speaking
1: on those topics. Tell our listeners how they can get a hold of your MP3s, your videotapes, and where you're located.
0: Yeah, our uh, ministry, Creation Instruction is creationinstruction.org for the website and you can email us at uh, creationinstruction@gmail.com. at gmail.com. and as far as a location we are located here in uh, South Central Nebraska just outside of uh, Hastings between Hastings and Kearney actually. Brian so much of what not only society as a whole but but students specifically are inundated with the uh, evolution and how that is the only possible way that things could have happened and that we could have arrived where we are today. What are some things, I guess, that, that you would really like to stress to people about what the Bible does say and what evidence is there that's just so blatant that it's hard to miss when it comes to the creation of the world? Well, yeah, like you said, we're only hearing one side of the issue. And when that happens, we get brainwashed. And I, I think that we've been brainwashed in so many different areas, not just in the creation area. I'll give you an example. We can say dinosaurs. We believe that dinosaurs, uh, according to the world, we've been taught that they lived millions of years ago. They never lived with man. Yet we see evidence from archaeology and history, even the fossil record that show that dinosaurs did indeed live with man. There's so much so I could give an hour presentation of that kind of thing alone, showing you evidence of man and dinosaurs together. Brian, why is your creation story so important to Christianity? Well, I think as as Ken Ham's books, already gone and already compromised, are showing, statistically we see that many people are leaving the church today, and the reason that is is because they think that the Bible is inaccurate. It's not true. And eventually they come to the realization that if it's not true in Genesis then it must not be true in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But nothing could be further from the truth. But I think this is why Satan has attacked the creation worldview so much, is because he knows that this way he can attack the gospel. And the bottom line is, is, is Genesis is the very foundation for the cross. Without Genesis, the cross is without meaning and purpose. Bottom line, is we see that genesis tells us that adam and eve sinned and because of that sin death came into the world and that death was a curse well jesus took that curse upon himself so that we might live the ground was uh, cursed with thorns and as a result he wears a crown of thorns for us he says that because of sin you're going to have to work the ground by the sweat of your brow so he comes and he sweats blood for us And then it says death is going to reign, so he comes and he takes that curse upon himself, dying on the cross, rising from the dead so that we might have life. But we can only have that life when we are his children, when we repent of our sins and believe on his name, believe on what he has done.
1: Let's join Brian with a message about dinosaurs and creation.
0: My name is Brian Young, I am the director of the CIA, it stands for Creation Instruction Association. I study all kinds of things from the creation ministries, there's many different things out there that that we use, so it's not all original coming from me or anything like that, but there's so many people that I can't give credit to, but I use a lot of information from Answers in Genesis, a wonderful ministry there in Kentucky with Ken Ham, the Institute for Creation Research out of El Cajon, California, just moved to Dallas. There have been so many people throughout my life that have been a blessing to basically me but most of all the word of God is one of the greatest resources that we have to basically find truth because Jesus is the way he is the truth he is the life and that is the word of God I'm going to be up front with you I don't want to sneak up on you here tonight I want you to know that I believe the earth is about six thousand years old okay I'm not going to argue with Christians if they believe it's ten fifteen thousand I believe it's six thousand right or in there somewhere but what I will argue about is whether it's millions of years old We have many in our Christian universities throughout the country teaching our students and grandchildren and and, and children that this earth is millions of years old. To begin with, I want to show you something from Ken Ham here. This little picture, I want you to look at it. What do you suppose is missing here? Maybe you thought it was A. Raise your hand if you thought it was A. Most of you probably thought it was E there, right? A, A complete circle. Well, the problem is actually nothing was missing. It was actually drawn this way. It was meant to be this way. But what happened is, when I asked you the question, what is missing, I gave you a presupposition that made you put on a pair of glasses to come up with an interpretation. Now, you see, your interpretation was totally consistent with your presupposition, it was totally consistent with your glasses, it was just totally wrong. That's the problem. And this is what's happening in our society all around us today, is that the scientists are giving us presuppositions. You see, I made you think the way I wanted you to think when I asked you the question, what's missing? I already was brainwashing you. You should have said this. Wait, you asked me a question. What's missing? I should question this question. But most of us don't even know it's a question, let alone to question the question, let alone to ask the right question to ask about the question. Okay, that's the problem. Now, let me put it this way. A new rock is found in the paper, and it says, look, a new rock, three billion years old, and you go, wow. Isn't science amazing? Don't go, Wow. You see, what questions were asked to get that interpretation is what you need to be asking. Because if you don't know the questions that were asked, how do you know what questions to ask to question their question to see if they're asking the right questions? And the more we study, the more we see we need to ask some questions. I gave you a practical example here of what they're doing all the time in science. For example, missing links. What do they find? Nothing. Hence the word missing, right? You see, the very word missing link is a brainwashing term. Did you ever stop to think there's actually nothing to be found to begin with? But that word missing link makes you think, oh, there's something out there that could be found, when in fact there isn't. And there's all kinds of brainwashing terms that are like that out there. For example, have you guys heard the word prehistoric? It doesn't exist. You see, that word means before history. When was before history? My Bible records history from the very beginning of time. And so prehistoric isn't even a word that should be, all old dictionaries didn't even have it in there. That has been a term that has been invented that is a brainwashing term to make us think the way they want us to think with that presupposition that has been added. So, real science has to be supported with observable science, observations. You have to be able to see it, taste it, test it, put hands on for it to be true science. And evolution is not science. It is not a science. It is a religion. And by the way, creation is a religion. Yeah. You see, I believe in creation. You know why? Because of faith, not science. Oh, there's plenty of science to support creation in a young earth. But I don't believe it because of science. It is as Hebrews 11 says, it is by faith that we believe God formed this world by His Word. It is a faith issue, not a scientific one. And I want you to understand that. Science will never bring anybody to faith, as I said. This is a faith issue. And so I want to challenge you Christians tonight to ask yourself, do you have more faith in the Word of God, who was there and who does know everything, or the words of man who was not there and who does not know everything? What do you have faith in? Because everybody has faith. Everybody is operating on faith. It's just a matter of which bias is the best bias to which to be biased with. The Word of God or humanism. So be honest with yourself tonight and ask yourself, what does the Word of God say as we look at these things? Well, what happened to the dinosaurs? all different kinds of theories out there. I took a graduate course in Iowa, at uh, Northern University of Iowa. Paid good money to learn what I'm about to give you for free. And frankly, I think that's all it's worth. I was told that these dinosaurs started to eat a plant that began to evolve, and those dinosaurs, as they ate it, became constipated so they couldn't go to the bathroom and died. Not the best way to go, or not go. Anyway, then there's the tight short theory. It says that the climate became too warm, so the males became sterile and they couldn't reproduce anymore. Or the mammals began eating the uh, reptile eggs as the mammals began to evolve. Or a big meteorite that came and hit the earth caused a dust storm to block out the sun. They don't believe that anymore. Now the meteorite hit the oceans, caused a tidal wave to come in on land and bury them in water and mud. Oh, they got their water and mud now, didn't they? That's why in my book, Doubts About Creation, not after this, I have many quotes of evolutionists saying local floods bury these dinosaurs. They won't admit Noah's flood, but local floods. Because, you know, to admit Noah's flood would mean that the Bible is true. If the Bible is true, then God's your creator. If God's your creator, he gets to set the rules for your life. And if he gets to set the rules for your life and you're not obeying Him, who are you going to answer to? Oh, God, your creator. You see, you'd have to be held accountable for sin. Guys, it's not an accident that Noah's flood is being challenged today, even in the churches. Satan does not want you to believe in Noah's flood as a global judgment. Because if God judged the world for sin in the past, he might just do it again. This God of love wouldn't do that, would he? Yeah, a loving God has to judge sin. The very thing that people accuse God of, of being a loving God, is why they will go to hell. Okay? Some rapist goes into the courts and the judge says, you know what, I'm a loving guy, I'm a good guy, I'm going to let you go. That'd be a corrupt judge, an unjust judge, wouldn't it? You see, the very fact that God is a loving judge means he has to punish sin. Some say that these dinosaurs didn't have enough food to eat. Others say they had too much food to eat. Still others say they had the wrong kind of food to eat. Gave them some bad gas. Those hot lunches at school, probably. And still others say that dinosaurs didn't go extinct. They turned into birds. Really? This is the number one theory today, guys. You will not go into a museum that isn't teaching you this. I was just speaking up in Montana here last month, and we went to the Museum of the Rockies, which is basically Jack Horner's museum. He was the one that they modeled the movie Jurassic Park after. And you can go through this museum and you see all these dinosaurs with feathers all over them. Guys, there's no evidence of this. No, there's not one shred of evidence. Well, what's this? Well, I took this picture here in the Chicago Museum of Natural History, Archaeopteryx. Found this fossil, taxidermied it up. You'd think they found this thing dead on the interstate somewhere. But you see, it had teeth in its beak. Big deal. We have birds in the fossil record that have teeth in their beaks. Lots of them, just not alive today. It also had claws on its wings. Big deal. You know what? So does an ostrich today. A hawatsun, even a chicken has a type of claw on its wings. Most evolutionists say that this is nothing but a perching bird, but you'd never know that from our museums, PBS, or National Geographic. The Discovery Channel, just here last month, aired this program called Dinosaurs Return to Life. You can go to our website, and and I'm going to have a response to that, because... It's absolutely ridiculous. They're taking a chicken and they want to genetically return it to a dinosaur. Okay? I'll explain some of that in a moment. It's absolutely insane. But this is what we're calling science. Anyway, we got lots of problems with this, guys, because first of all, how did, you know, scales turn into feathers? They used to say, oh, frayed scales turn into feathers. Wrong. Okay, this is a microscopic view of a scale. They say we lack completely fossils of all intermediate stages between reptile scales and the most primitive feather. In other words, we have no evidence, but we want you to believe it. Okay? Not any evidence. A feather is very complex. It's got all these barbs and hooks under a microscope. You can see it, how they hook together. That's what a bird does is it preens itself. It's hooking all these things back together. This is not a frayed scale at all. Cannot be. Well, what they're doing here, I'm just going to touch on this right now, is they're trying to basically take the scales off of a chicken feet, and they're going to genetically get those things to go all over the the chicken body. Guys, all that's going to happen is then you get a cold chicken. A T-Rex has like 35 vertebrae, or or a relative of the T-Rex has about 35 vertebrae in its tail. Archaeopteryx had about 15. A chicken has about 5 to 8. And so, what they did is they added a protein onto this gene then that basically tried to get this uh, vertebrae to get longer, and sure enough, in the embryonic stages, they were able to get like three or four extra vertebrae on this. Guys, what do you get? A chicken with a longer chicken tail. It's not a dinosaur tail. Anyway, it's not the first time we've had bad science, because here's Nebraska man. First corn husker right here, guys, found one tooth, and from one tooth, this is what they put in our museums. Isn't science amazing? Well, I don't know, because later they found the rest of the bones that belonged to the tooth. turned out to be an extinct pig. A pig turned a monkey into man. And by the way, this is the evidence that was used for the Scopes trial, the monkey trial of 1925, in support of evolution. And we haven't learned our lesson. See the whites in the eyes? That gives it a human characteristics. Ape, monkeys, they don't have whites in their eyes. Again, human-looking feet. Apes and monkeys have completely different feet. They've got that opposable digit. But we haven't learned, because today they have Lucy in our museums, Only found 40% of the skeletons did not find the hands and the feet. But they have human-looking hands and feet on her. Again, whites in the eyes. And apparently they found a fossilized thought, giving her, you know, reasoning capabilities as well. Well, later we found another one of these. She's called Australopithecus afarensis. And they found the hands and the feet. Guess what? Had chimpanzee hands and feet. We went here and we asked them, why do you have human-looking hands and feet on Lucy when it's been proven scientifically that they were chimpanzee hands and feet? This is their answer. Quote, we can't change these exhibits every time new information comes about. And besides, we believe it portrays the information we're trying to get across. And what might that be? Obviously, it's the lie of evolution. The knee joint was found 200 feet deeper than the rest of the bones, a mile and a half away. Yeah, and this is what we're calling science today. Lucy is nothing but a chimpanzee, and many of the evolutionists even admit this. Even the most famous evolutionary anthropologist, the Leakey, say it's nothing but a chimpanzee. But you'd never know that from our museums today at all. Okay? We do not see evolution happening today, do we? We don't see animals turning into people. We see people <laughs> behaving like animals because of evolution. Well, here's what Gary Larson thought happened to those dinosaurs. He thought maybe they were smoking <laughs> okay, in the far side. Now we can chuckle at this, but maybe there is some truth to this because see, some of these larger dinosaurs like seismosaurs, T-Rex and others, they have these very large bodies, but small rib cages. Now if you have a small rib cage, that means you have a small heart and a small lung. They also had a nostril the size of a horse. So if you have a small nostril and a small lung, look, a new theory, lack of oxygen killed the dinosaurs, not an asteroid, lack of oxygen. But you know something, if we had more oxygen, more air pressure in a more recent past, they wouldn't have to be sucking on oxygen tanks, would they? No, they'd be able to live easily in our environment. Solves other problems as well. The pterodactyls and pteranodons had a wingspan of an F4 phantom jet. The legs suggest they barely could walk, let alone run the great speeds they'd have to to get up into the air. Twice the atmospheric pressure, more recent past would allow this thing to fly in a slight breeze. Problem solved. Or how about this? How could this guy get blood to pump to the top of its head with such a small heart in that small rib cage? No way that could happen. So what they've done, even though this is the official scientific collection of dinosaurs here, in the museums they have changed the look of this dinosaur. Now the head goes out rather than up so that it didn't have to pump blood uphill with such a small heart. But we already had the problem solved. Now, they still have a problem, though, with Brachiosaur. Its body structure will not allow its head to go out or else it would tip over. So they'll put him up in in the museums and pictures up over his rib cage in water near a swamp or something like that. But we already had the problem solved. Now, some of you may say, well, how does a giraffe do it today? It's got a big neck. Well, it's pretty simple. You see, a giraffe has a big rib cage for the size of its body. A bull giraffe can have a heart two and a half feet long. So you got this huge giraffe going boom, boom to pump blood up to the top of its head now can I show you a miracle tonight all right this is a miracle here's this huge heart going ba-boom 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 to pump blood uphill and now he gets thirsty and he bends over gravity kicks in and that heart goes ba-boom and blow its brains right out of its head (laughs) by all scientific reason the giraffe should blow its brains out every time it gets a drink of water but it doesn't why because God made this animal the way it was supposed to be made right there at the beginning you see there are valves in that neck that when he bends over they close and it no longer pumps blood to its head there's something called a wonder net it's a sponge like thing at the base of the brain that already has blood in it now how in the world did that evolve slowly over millions of years that wonder net hadn't formed or those valves weren't there yet and that giraffe got thirsty you know oh guys don't drink the water oh that is not gonna work for evolution it has to be created fully functional fully formed right away Let me ask you this. When did God make T-Rex? Now, How many of you, just by a show of hands, I'm expecting a lot more here in this audience, how many of you by a show of hands think you could answer that question? Not too many here, less than I thought. You see, guys, here's the reason why. Because we don't think biblically anymore. We don't read our Bibles so that we don't know our Bibles. And so when the, the questions that are out there, we don't know how to find the answers in the Bible. We don't think biblically anymore. We need to train ourselves and our children to think biblically. Let me see if I can help you out. Is T-Rex a land animal? Sure is. Did God make all land animals on the sixth day of creation, like the Bible says? He sure did. So I guess T-Rex was made on the sixth day of creation. It's that simple. About 6,000 years ago. It's not difficult, but we don't think biblically. But in our textbooks, they're brainwashing our kids, and they'll give you questions like this. Do you think humans are still evolving? That's a terrible question. That's like me saying, Hey, Tim, have you stopped taking illegal drugs yet? And what Tim's going to say? He says, Yes, it means I used to take illegal drugs. No means I'm taking drugs. Do you think humans are still evolving? Yes means they are. No means they once were. This doesn't teach your children how to think. It tells them what to think. And there are so many subtle questions like that in our textbooks that are subtly brainwashing our children. How about this then? Are dinosaurs in the Bible? Well, if we think biblically, yes or no. You're both right. You see, the word dinosaur is not in the Bible for the same reason the word email is not there. That word did not exist when the Bible was translated into the English language in the year 1600. We didn't even find the first dinosaur bones till 1830, didn't know what to call them until 1841 when the word dinosaur was invented. So no wonder the word dinosaur is not in the Bible. Same reason email or Chevrolet is not there. But you do find them under their real names for example Job 40 starting at verse 15 going to the very end of the chapter you have this amazing creature called behemoth which God made millions of years before thee oh no it doesn't say that does it which God made along with thee and it says that he feeds on grass like an ox he has power in the muscles of his belly his bones are like tubes of bronze limbs like rods of iron okay that that tail like a cedar tree what in the world could this be Well, I'm thankful for those footnotes that we have at the bottom of the Bible because it tells us what this thing is. Those footnotes at the bottom, it says that behemoth is possibly an elephant or a hippopotamus. I would love to meet the man that wrote that footnote, because I've got one question for him. You ever seen the tail of an elephant? It's not a cedar tree. It's more like a toothpick. This does not fit. No. And the hippopotamus? Oh, that sure took care of the problem. Yeah, you should have seen him at the zoo when I was taking that picture. They're all grabbing their kids. Get away from that man. <laughs> now, you see, this does not have a tail like a cedar tree. With this kind of reasoning, it had a big belly, didn't it? Tail like a cedar tree. Some say, okay, it's got to be an alligator. Well, they don't eat grass like an ox. The only animal that fits, and it doesn't just kind of fit, it fits perfect in every detail, is the dinosaur every detail now the second dinosaur in the bible is my favorite one of all job 41 the entire chapter has this amazing creature here called leviathan and it says the doors of his mouth are ringed about with fearsome teeth his back has rows of shields that are tightly sealed together each is so close to the next that not even air can pass between them fire streams from his mouth sparks of fire shoot out smoke pours from his nostrils as from a boiling pot over a fire his chest is as hard as a rock, so that the sword that reaches him has no effect, nor does a spear or a dart or a javelin. Iron he treats like straw, bronze like rotten wood. He goes in the water and out of the water, leaves a huge wake behind him when he goes in the water. What could this be? First of all, guys, look at me. Do you honestly think that there was an animal out there that if it was threatened, it'd go, <gasps> and blow fire like that? You know what? I have a motto for my life. It goes something like this. If the Bible says it, I believe it. Yeah, if the Bible says it, I believe it. And if the Bible says this thing was blowing fire, I believe it. But not only that, but did you know that it's still alive today? We have this amazing creature here called the bombardier beetle. And the bombardier beetle can shoot out its back end a noxious gas at over 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Never misses its target. I know some of you think you can do that too, but it's a different process. <laughs> it's got chemicals and enzymes that are stored in separate storage chambers. It mixes them together in this combustion tube, and when it meets the oxygen in the air, poof, it goes off. How could that evolve? How could something like this come about by chance, piece by piece? What if those chemicals hadn't been mixed right? What if the combustion tube hadn't formed and that poor beetle goes, Huh, what happens when I do this? I can tell you what's going to (laughs) happen. Evolution's got to start all over. This cannot happen. This is incredible design and it has to be fully formed, fully functional right away in order to survive. It also has 500 pulses in a second. It goes off, boom, boom, 500 times in a second in slow motion. To you, it sounds like a pop going off. I have a DVD out on the table called Amazing Animals. that will, will go over the uh, actual video footage of this where you can see this thing going off. How in the world? If it didn't do that in little bursts, it would go shoot across the room like a rocket. Here's a frog about to eat one of these bombardier beetles. He gets sprayed and runs away with his tongue hanging from his mouth. No longer likes that hot Mexican food anymore. Oh, this is design. How about this? How does this fit with the, the dinosaurs and the fossil record? We see... We have bones like Parasarolophus here, who have these bony structures on the back of their heads, and in many cases, they're hollow. What if they stored chemicals like the bombardier beetle in these storage chambers that are there? They could mix those chemicals together in a combustion tube right there that does a U-turn at the top, right out its nostril, and poof, you'd have Fire. Now, I'm not saying this is Leviathan. I'm simply saying that we have the, the makeup and the fossil record that we have in the bombardier beetle, and if a beetle can do it, a dinosaur ought to be able to. And besides, the Bible says it, so I believe it. Dinosaurs were blowing fire. You see, it sounds to me like Gary Larson was not too far off. They were smoking, just not cigarettes. And it also sounds an awful lot like a dragon, doesn't it? You see, dragon is a word that was around when the Bible was written in English, and we find dragons all over the place in the Bible. Over 250 countries around the world have legends of dragons. Historians will tell you there has to be some truth to that. Genesis 1.21 says God created great sea creatures, whales, monsters, depending on your translation, but the Hebrew word is tannin, literally translated as dragon throughout the Bible. We see dragons in Isaiah 43, verse 20. Dragons are in Jeremiah 14, verse 6. Isaiah 27.1 talks about the dragon that's in the sea. Psalm 74 talks about the dragon in the waters. Could that be something like perhaps the plesiosaur? You bet. Or how about the flying serpent of Isaiah chapter 30? Could that be something like the pterodactyl or pteranodon? Why not? Did dinosaurs go on Noah's ark? Took two of every kind of animal on the ark. So is a dinosaur a kind of animal? It is. So did dinosaurs go on Noah's ark? Yeah. God said take two of every kind of animal. A dinosaur is a kind. So they got on the boat. They got off of the boat. If they were alive today, they'd be making T-shirts. No question, they went on the ark. But, you know, they're a reputable people, guys. A brother in Christ, but I sure disagree with some of his theology, Billy Graham. Right here in this newspaper, he was asked, did dinosaurs go on Noah's Ark? He says, no. Noah's Ark apparently did not include dinosaurs, and the reason is because dinosaurs and similar ancient creatures that we only know from fossils were extinct by the time God created the garden. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying Jesus Christ is a hoax. What? Because, you see, what he's saying is this. Dinosaurs went extinct like many other animals did before God created Adam and Eve. What he's saying is death was in the world before Adam and Eve. Guys, how can you have death in the world before Adam and Eve if Adam and Eve are the ones that caused death to be in this world? You see, you can't combine these two ideas, guys. Some say, oh, but Adam and Eve, it was spiritual death. Really? In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, By one man, Adam, spiritual death came into the world, apparently. It just says death. By one man, death came into the world. We'll say, okay, fine, spiritual death. By one man, spiritual death came into the world. And so by one man, Jesus Christ, came the spiritual resurrection of the dead. You see, you believe in a spiritual death, you can only believe in a spiritual resurrection. That's what the Sadducees believed. They did not believe in the physical resurrection of the dead. That's why they were so sad, you see. So Jesus, obviously, in 1 Corinthians 15, is making a comparison to a physical death to a physical resurrection. And besides, the dust you are, to dust you shall return sounds pretty physical to me. This was a physical death. You cannot have death in the world, animals and things like that, dying before Adam and Eve. That's what it means. Why does this mean Jesus is a hoax? Well, because if death has no meaning, which is what this means, then why did Jesus die on the cross? He could have stayed up in heaven and said, Thou art forgiven. But he couldn't. He had to come and die because his death had meaning and purpose. You see, death was the curse of sin, and even more so the cure for it. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, through His death and conquering that death. Death has meaning and purpose. Evolution in millions of years says, no, it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then Christianity has no meaning and purpose either.
1: You've been listening to a message by Brian Young on dinosaurs and creation. You can find out more information at his website, His ministry is called Creation Instruction Association, and the website is creationinstruction.org. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth in Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Tyson. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus.